Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? Doing well, Robert. How are you? I'm doing very well. Today, we have no guest. We had several good guests in a row, and we have several good guests coming up. So, sorry, nothing for you this week, except for a lot of updates about the end of the legislative session. Yeah, Yeah, so Jasmine, the the veto period is over, and the, the legislature had its final two days where it could override vetoes and pass final legislation. Um, I don't know. To me, it seemed was like kind of the tale of two days. And they were kind of like the limitations of what having a Democratic governor can do, because Andy Bashir obviously vetoed a lot of stuff and basically all of it got overridden. And then kind of also what's the good part about having a governor who's a Democrat? Uh, because on the, sec- the last day of the legislative session, um, Republicans passed a bunch of stuff that seemed to be a little bit more bipartisan. Some of it was a little better than average in terms of the things we've gotten out of this session, which is not to say they're good, just better than average. And we'll go over all of that. So we'll go over the overrides and we'll go over the legislation today. Then we'll do uh, a COVID update and then we will get into some quick hits. So without any further ado, let's talk about the second to last day of the legislative session. Um, so Jasmine, that was kind of the veto override day. And, you know, mm-hmm. we did talk, we talked last week about Andy Bashir had three days of press conferences where he announced the bills he was vetoing. In the end, he vetoed or issued line-item vetoes of 34 different bills and resolutions. By the end of the legislative session, the legislature had overridden all but three of them. So uh, the three three of them were left standing. And the three were not really... <laughs> they were kind of lame, the things that were left. It was like two line items were sustained in the executive budget, one line item in the judicial budget, and then like the line item vetoes in HB 413, which is another budget bill. So, I mean, you know, not, not like a lot <laughs> that got left standing, anything major, all of the big bills that, that uh, Andy Bashir wanted to, to veto were all overridden. So I would say this is not unexpected. Nearly all of the overrides happened without much drama. And the House majority worked to reduce that drama by limiting discussion to five minutes per side on almost all the veto overrides. It's technical. This is technically against the rules. Like they're not technically allowed to do that. But the rules were suspended, uh, which is a thing you can do, I guess. Uh, Democrats weren't super big fans of, of that process. You know, they wanted to very clearly, they wanted to get all of the vetoes off their plate on the, the first day of the override session. And, and they were mostly able to do that. The only bill that had a close margin in terms of the override was HB 563, which is the vouchers slash open enrollment bill. We've talked about this bill quite a bit. If you want background on it, you can go listen to a couple of our older shows where we go over it. So, so this bill actually originally passed the House 48 to 47, so by one vote, with one Democratic vote, Al Gentry voted for it. So, so this time the bill passed 51 to 42. Uh, so the, the Republicans were able to put together 51 of their 75-member caucus to to put this together, uh, the, the vote for the bill to override the veto. So they didn't have any Democratic votes. Al Gentry actually voted against this bill on the override. Three Republicans switched from not voting to voting to pass the bill. Those were Jim Gooch, Matt Koch, and Ryan Dotson. And one Republican, who's Regina Huff, she actually switched from no to yes. Representative Huff actually chairs the Education Committee in the House and is kind of close to a few of the KY120 members, or, you know, I guess at least she was before taking this vote, so we'll... We'll see where their relationship stands after that. But that was that was pretty disappointing to see that she was the person who put it over the top. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, because I haven't 
I don't really like know her voting history well. Are you surprised that she switched her vote? No, <laughs> I'm not at all. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think it's nice that, you know, some different teacher groups have different relationships with different Republicans. And, and I kind of understand. Mm-hmm. I understand why you got to have that because, you know, you get a sense of what they're working on. It's, it's good to maintain those relationships because, you know, coming out of strategy sessions with the whole caucus, it's good to know, you know, what's on their radar that you might want to talk about or you might want to start strategizing around. Uh, but when when the rubber meets the road, they're not going to vote with you. You know, they're Republicans. At the end of the day, yeah. that's, that's what they're going to do. They're going to be Republicans. So I don't think it's, you know, it's not a bad idea to maintain close relationships if you're, if you're you know, a lobbyist or, or, or if you're like strategizing around a specific policy group um, with, with people in yeah, both caucuses. Yeah, you have to do that. Yeah, you have to, even if they're totally going to stab you in the back. You know, I... The the uh, Better Schools Kentucky, which is the PAC associated with Je- Jefferson County Teachers Association, and uh, they they catch a lot of flack because they endorse Jason Nemus and are, are friends with Jason Nemus, and I think I've given them flack about that before too as well. But I mean, I get it, right? You have to have that kind of relationship with that person, um, even if they're not going to vote with you, just because you kind of got to know you got to you got to know what's going on there. So that's that's why I think that's what. Uh, Regina Huff didn't do anything anybody didn't expect. Uh, But again, it is still disappointing. You definitely called it when we talked about this last week. You said you thought that some of the people who didn't vote would vote yes this time and get it done. Yeah. So I think that there's a few ways to interpret the turn of events. So uh, on one hand, if if Al Gentry had not voted to pass this bill originally... You know, it, it, it probably would have failed for yet another year. I think that that's fair to say. Yeah. But but on the other hand, it's really clear from this turn of events that the GOP had the votes to pass, but we're just waiting to see how many they needed to, to deploy. So, I, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, Gentry obviously voted yes, and it, the bill ended up passing 48 to 47. If Gentry votes no and that vote goes to, you know, um, 40, you know, 48, 47 the other way, uh, the Republicans had votes to deploy so it could have been that you know Mm -hmm. uh jim gooch and matt coke you know end up switching their vote from or or coming to the floor as they're holding the vote open and just hit yes on that i I don't know Uh, either one of those two things could have happened and and the relevance of alvin gentry's actions on the day that this got voted on uh it's hard to gauge them in retrospect um it was close enough that it might have sunk it like i don't know what those people were thinking how much you know they had the republican leadership had to push on on those two people it's worth mentioning, I think, probably that Jim Gooch used to be a Democrat. Um, he used to catch a lot of flack back in the late 2000s, 2000, like the early Obama administration. Uh, he's from like the Owensboro area, but like south of Owensboro, which has a lot of coal mining in western Kentucky. And he was a very, very pro-coal uh, Democratic legislator who uh, would always attack like National Democrats, you know, carbon plans and, and, and you know, uh, the climate plans that they had put together. Uh, so he got a lot of national attention for being like this incredibly uh, anti-climate uh, Democrat in Kentucky. But, you know, his underlying ideology is probably one that's very pro-education and probably one that has probably more roots in labor and stuff. Uh, than than a lot of the other people who then formed the Republican caucus. So so Jim Gooch is a little interesting there. You know he that that's one. I, Matt Koch is I think he's uh, he's in Northern Kentucky and and that area has a, a lot of re- moderate Republicans. I don't know much about Ryan Dotson. I think he's actually on the river in in east northeastern Kentucky. I'm not totally sure where his district is. Uh, but but these are three people who are interesting. I don't know how much that the Republican leadership had to push on them to to get them to vote for yes on after the veto 
during the veto override vote. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's very interesting to think about for sure. So that's one way to think about it. Yeah, I think I think Matt Koch is actually the former like Sandy Overly seat in like Bergen yeah, County. There you're that's right. Not quite northern Kentucky, but north not northern Kentucky. Yeah, and that's a district that has been I mean, that's a target that that's a district that you know, if Democrats want to get to the majority, that's one of the ones they're gonna have to win. Uh that that's kind of a Paris area, Cynthiana, like that kind of area. Uh kind of outside of Lexington. Very historically democratic, but definitely very conservative these days. Uh but yes, you're I, I you're right. You're right about that. Yeah, and Ryan Dotson is um Clark County and part of Madison County. Okay. So that's like Winchester into uh yeah. into Rich mm-hmm. like not that's probably not Richmond. It's probably like the outlying parts of Madison County. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the the greater Lexington area are where both of those mm-hmm. guys are from. That's that's fair to say. So, yeah, you know, these are places that, you know, have a lot of public school support. Those are places where the public school system mm-hmm. are very, very important uh, in all of those districts. So, uh, you know, it kind of makes sense that those are like the last people to vote yes on this. Uh, again, it, it, if Alvin Gentry had voted no, uh, who knows what would have happened. It could have failed, but I think it's unlikely to say that it definitely would have failed. Uh, this bill is just a good reminder that the GOP can basically do whatever they want. <laughs> this is something that Democrats. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's very clear that the Democrats and many Republicans very clearly oppose this. A lot of Republicans voted against this bill, but the Republican leadership still managed to pass this bill because of their massive majorities. And unless something can be done about the size of their caucus, this is going to continue to happen. Uh, you know, Republicans are going to be able to do basically whatever they want. And if you want that to stop, you should help elect more Democrats to the legislature. And that's all there is to it. Yep. I also noticed that Al Gentry did not vote on it mm. this time. Eh, you know, he didn't vote. He didn't vote. So it wouldn't have mattered. He was not part of the 51 person caucus to. Yeah. 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 I, I, and, you know, it's very clear that a lot of the people that. Which had, is why they needed someone to flip their vote, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, if. You know, there are very clearly a lot of people who had his ear, who have his, uh, who, and he's actually meant, said he's pro-charter before. Um, he's one of the people that I know a lot of the public education groups have been very concerned about his his votes on lots of education bills in the past, uh, be, even though he's a Democrat. So he, I guess, kind of took one for the team, but it didn't really matter. So there, <laughs> there you go. Um, lots of yeah. other yeah so I mean that that's the big bill that was very dramatic but lots of other veto rights has uh, happened as well um, the Mitch McConnell retirement plan that allows the Republican Party to be involved and Mitch McConnell wants to retire and ostensibly a the Democratic Party would be involved if a, Demo- a future Democratic senator wanted to retire uh, Ed Massey's teacher pension plan the gutting of the Open Records Act all of the rest of those things they all got overridden uh, and, and you know I expect uh, that you know we will start to see more more vetoes of the bills that are that were passed in the last couple of days, but you know I'm not going to talk about that. Jasmine is so. Jasmine, what happened on the last day of the legislative session? We've got a lot to talk about here because a lot happened on the last day of the session. Yep, I think they adjourned pretty close to midnight, and so some of these are bills that some of them have bipartisan support because I think you know they could wait till the last day to pass some of those because. They know that the governor likely won't veto them, but some of them are bad. So we'll get started. So first is a bill, HB 310, and that's the bill that would make changes to how involuntary commitments work. Right. Um, We talked about this last week. It, It amended a different bill 
that changes involuntary commitments for people who are accused of crimes who are found incompetent. And it passed both chambers unanimously, although a few legislators did not vote. Senator Southworth did not vote. And then in the House, Representative Scott, Pamela Stevenson, and Representative DuPlessis did not vote. Yeah, um, it, this actually passed all the way through, and so they actually had a committee meeting about it. And, and Senator Robin Webb from Eastern Kentucky uh, had a lot of good stuff to say about it, where she was like, this is, you know, obviously it's an important bill uh, because this is addresses a problem that's ongoing, but uh, it, we need to make sure we check in on this. So I'm glad that at least she's on top of it and, and understands the, the gravity of what this could do. So if, yeah. it, does, if it does prove to be a problem, I, I certainly hope that, that it gets readdressed. Next is the COVID business liability bill. This bill passed the House 70 to 27 and then went back to the Senate for concurrence and passed last night. The list of essential service providers in the bill is pretty big, so it covers a lot of different kinds of businesses. And this bill was a really big priority for like the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce. But some legislators questioned the constitutionality of it. And Representative McCoy like was on the floor calling it unconstitutional, but then he voted for it and it passed easily. <laughs> yeah, this is one I think probably will get vetoed. We will see. Uh, but Andy v- Andy Bashir doesn't have a lot of good things. I mean, he he didn't go to the Chamber of Commerce, uh, you know, forum when he was running for governor. That was one of the ones where Matt Bevin was talking to a cardboard cutout. Um, so he doesn't seem to have a super close relationship with those people. And uh, this is, you know, again, nullifying a COVID restriction, which is uh, goes against his brand for sure. Yeah. Um, Next is a bill about unemployment offices. So it would reopen unemployment offices um, located about a dozen of them around the state. It passed the Senate 35 to 2 last night and it passed the House 91 to 1. So that one heads to the governor. And I think that's a good bill. Yeah, I think this one uses some of the federal money that came in the, the, uh, the American Recovery Act. Uh, and there will be a lot of that as we talk about it as we move through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Next is the early voting bill that has three days of early voting, plus um, some good things like keeping the online portal for absentee ballots and and things like that. So um, this bill had already passed both chambers, but it went back to the House for concurrence for like a very minor change in language. And it passed 91 to three. So that's a big win. And I think that like we're seeing like voter suppression bills in a lot of these states and and this is a good bill um but i i think maybe republicans realize that it's popular and that they don't need to restrict voting so much to win in kentucky (laughs) yeah i mean it's worth mentioning that there was a pretty bad voter suppression bill that passed in the 2020 session uh and it did get vetoed Mm -hmm. and then overridden by the governor uh there in the the long session during covid Uh, and and this was something that that i think michael adams had wanted to do in the previous year like he had a bill that he was pushing that obviously got canceled because of covid uh so this is an extension of that and lessons learned from the, the 2020 election so you know, not all bad from Michael Adams' office, but it's worth no, no mentioning that there is at least some bad that has come out of that office before. Yeah, it's know. it's it's been kind of a mixed bag, and we still have like more restrictive voting than a lot of states. Our polls still close at six p.m., mm-hmm. but definitely a pretty good bill that we passed. A mixed bag is better than we can say about just about every other Republican constitutional officer in Kentucky. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, okay, so next, this one. 
is kind of like several bills. It's basically like appropriating um, the American Recovery Act funds and also providing funding for full day kindergarten for next year. So HB 382 was amended at the last minute to include funding for full day kindergarten. Um, This is only for next year, though. So I don't really know what happens after that, if they'll like take this up again next year in next year's session. Um, this was something that was in the in HB 563 and then taken out. Um, so it was added back into HB 382. It also appropriates $575 million from the American Rescue Plan Act to pay back the interest and principal on um, the unemployment insurance trust fund loan that we took out after COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And it also provides $50 million for broadband services that passed the house 90 to three and we'll head to the governor. And then Senate bill 36 was originally the bill that um, changed juvenile transfers. And because that was passed as part of another bill that was gutted and amended and it now directs $250 million in ARPA funds for water infrastructure. And that passed 95 to zero. And then the legislature also passed a bill appropriating funds for um, replacing and renovating public school facilities, renovating the interior of the Capitol and the exterior of the Capitol annex. So I think these were things that some of the things that Bashir wanted to use these funds for, and they got passed in um, a few different bills. Yeah, Andy Bashir got a lot of what he wanted from the legislature in terms of how to allocate this money. Um, so there won't be a special session. There, this this kind of takes care of that. We don't have to pay for that. And yeah, I mean, I think that this is, again, I, what like I said at the beginning, a very good example of what having a Democratic governor allows you to do, um, because he's obviously the person who came up with a lot of this plan. And And the legislature kind of ran out of time and knew that, you know, basically they had to appropriate this money or else who knows what would have happened. And and they did. They basically gave him what he wanted. And we're going to get a bunch of really good stuff. So, I mean, this is really I'm really happy we elected a Democratic governor in 2019. And then I'm incredibly happy (laughs) that we elected a Democratic Congress. Thank you, Georgia. Thank you. uh, Lots of other states. Uh, out there, for, <laughs> not not us, not us. Hey, hey, Louisville sent. Hey, the budget director of the whole country comes yeah. from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So that, let's let's keep it real. Uh, yeah, but no, the the Democratic Congress in D.C. appropriated all this money to states, uh, and the combination of having Democrats in charge on the federal level and a Democratic governor here in Kentucky means we're going to get tons of really good and important stuff, infrastructure investments that are way overdue, and things like school. Uh, you know, it's crazy. Twenty twenty one. A lot of people in Kentucky don't have clean drinking water hopefully a lot more people will like this is great news this is great news and and so this is this is good stuff and i'm glad that the republicans went along with it i think that their hand was a little bit forced but i think it's good they could have pitched a much larger fit than they did and they didn't uh, they overrode over those vetoes and then approved everything he wanted in the recovery act funds so this is good news as far yeah. as i'm concerned yeah definitely um, so next is the a no-knock bill, SB4. So this was President Stiver's version of a no-knock bill, and it passed with some of Patty Minter's amendments for officers to wear clearly visible insignia and for a paramedic or EMT to be nearby during the execution of no-knock warrants. Um, and it did end up passing with the clear and convincing language, not 
there were some Republican amendments filed that would have lowered the standard and expand the offenses that you could use no knocks for. Um, and it didn't, they did not adopt those amendments. Um, so that's good. It passed the House 92 to 5, and the Senate concurred unanimously. So we do have a no knocks bill that limits them. It is not Brianna's law, but it is still a good thing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know. During discussion of Senate Bill 4, uh, Representative Fugate started talking about how America had gone downhill since 1962 when God was taken out of schools. Uh, um, And he said, let's put God back where he's supposed to be. I just want to stand and tell the police officers across the state and the country that I love and admire them. And he got a huge ovation after he said that. Then Representative Pamela Stevenson responded that things were not good for black people in 1962. So that was some of the discussion of a no-knock warrant bill. Yeah. uh, You know what? The discussion might have been really gross and weird, but at least they passed SB4. And and yes, uh, you know. Yeah, he did. He did vote for it after that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on where the Republicans are saying things, one thing in their speech and then voting a different way. I do want to say, you know, yeah. we've given Representative Fugate and the Republicans kind of a hard time about SB4. They had, they could absolutely have passed this bill without Representative Minter's amendments. They, they did not have to take those up. They could have yeah. passed it exactly mm-hmm. like that and basically forced Andy Bashir into an awkward situation where it's like, do I sign this without these things? Um, I mean, it's still a little bit awkward, right? I think he's going to sign it, but I mean, it's clearly, it's not Brianna's law. We want to be very clear about that. Um, but they included, mm-hmm. the Republican leadership included those amendments because they thought it was a good thing to do. Uh, and and that's good. I, I You know, we give Republicans a lot of crap and the Re- Republican leadership a lot of, uh, you know, flack on this show, but, but that was good. So, you know, I wish I, that this is still not ideal. Ideal would have been working with Representative Scott to get Brianna's law passed. Uh, and they did not do that, so they do not deserve credit for that. But I think they do deserve credit for including Representative Minter's amendments and not taking up all the Republican amendments that would have gutted this bill. Yeah. All right. Next is um, public access to open records. So this is Senate Bill 48. The bill originally limited the release of personal information of police, judges, prosecutors, and others in public safety. Um, But amendments were adopted on Monday night to expand it to include a lot of other public information that agencies could withhold, like home address or identifying information about a residence property tax records, um, photos of vehicles, vehicle registration, and employment locations or assignments. So this is another bill that, you know, weakens the Open Records Act, basically, that ended up passing. Yeah, Jasmine, I, you know, Andy Bashir was the attorney general, and, uh, you know, his, his record on Open Records when he was attorney general was, I would say, like, not stellar, definitely not as good as some other attorney generals in the past. But I do think that this is going to get vetoed. He vetoed the other open records law that was bad before it got overridden. But I, I think that this is one that is going to get over or going to get vetoed. And so it, it, we're, <laughs> this is just another another bill that got passed that's not going to see the light of day. Yeah, we'll see. Another bill that passed yesterday were, was House Bill 372, and that would provide tax breaks for data centers and remote workers. I think we briefly mentioned this bill once. 
That one passed the House 60 to 31. So there were several Republicans who voted against it. um, But that one heads to the governor also. And I don't know, Robert, do you think, is this one that he vetoes or just... this is an interesting. This, this is an interesting question. I, I this is when I think yeah. is the kind of most in the middle on. I think that the this would make Kentucky's tax breaks for remote workers like the most generous in the country. And unless they amended the bill, there aren't any like rules or like there are not a lot of like good <laughs> guardrails in here. So I was I, when I read the bill originally, I I noted that they were like all it does is give a tax break to any worker whose company is out of the state. So basically anybody in Northern Kentucky that works in Cincinnati gets this tax break. Anybody who works in Louisville and their company is headquartered in Southern Indiana gets this tax break. Uh, You know, if my job, I I work at a small company, if I convince my bosses that own the company to move the headquarters to Jeffersonville, Indiana, I would get this tax break. So, so it was, it did seem like a really bad plan and something that didn't really have a lot of rules around it. Uh, So I would hope that if that did, didn't get changed that the governor vetoes it. But I do think that there's a lot to be said for the strategy uh, of as people start working a lot more remotely, doing something to try to entice some people uh, into living in in your state. I just don't know if the tax code is the best way to do it. And I don't know if, uh, if this bill is, I definitely don't think this bill is the right answer. So I, I hope he vetoes it. I don't think it's a good idea. The data centers one too, I don't think is a good idea. Um, that's kind of part of the race to the bottom that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, so this is one though, I think is like the, the most edge case in terms of whether or not Andy Bashir will actually yeah. veto it. Yeah. And that's why I asked you about it. Cause I wasn't <laughs> yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. We've also got a bill that would remove prior authorization requirements for medication-assisted treatment for opioid use. Um, This bill was sponsored by Representative Kim Moser, and it had been returned to the Senate for concurrence, and it passed unanimously. So that is a good bill. And she also sponsored another um, sort of related bill that's a reentry bill. Mm Mm-hmm. That would help people um, re-enter society after incarceration. It removes barriers to Medicaid coverage. It will also help people get IDs and employability certificates. Um, so both of those pass and are headed to the governor. So those are two more good bills. Yeah, the reentry bill I think is definitely good. Uh, the the MAT, the Medication Assistant Treatment Bill, uh, that's a more complicated issue. I agree with you. I think it is a good bill, um, but I do want to at least acknowledge that there's there is some debate about like that whole industry and, and how you know uh, how you know those kind of clinics may or may not like abuse uh, some people who are in recovery. So uh, you know, uh, I do think that that's good. That it makes it easier for people to access treatment. I just hope that you know it's used in a responsible way by the people who dole those treatments out. Yeah, it's definitely like a little more complicated than that, but I think overall, um, these are, these were both like good bipartisan yeah. effort. Bills. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I do think that these actually, yeah, these reflect a lot of work by, by people in the legislature to come up with good solutions to these problems. So I hope they work. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Now a bad bill. So this is the anti-abortion constitutional amendment, which is house bill 91. It passed the Senate 32 to six and it will head to the ballot in 2022. So like I said last week, this one, you know, there wasn't a push to get it done before the veto period because it is a constitutional amendment 
does not go to the governor. It goes to the secretary of state and we'll see it on the ballot next year. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that this is happening. I, I mean, I think it's a very it's very clearly a ploy to get. I mean, they, they ran this exact play back in 2004 with the, the uh, gay marriage amendment, which banned gay mm-hmm. marriage in Kentucky and also ginned up turnout for, for George W. Bush. Uh, that was a, a strategy that Karl Rove kind of put in place back then in a lot of different states across the country. Uh, and, and this I mean, it's just very cynical that they're you know, they know they aren't going to have Trump on the ballot. So they're going to try to get people to turn out for this anti-abortion amendment uh so i i really hope you know i really hope that since it's on the ballot it's gonna pass it's unfortunate it's definitely gonna pass but i i do hope that there's some kind of movement to at least try to start the conversation with people across the state about you know why abortion care is important why accessing it is important for women and families uh of all all different types uh, and all kinds of people who need abortions so you know, um, mm-hmm. we'll we'll see what happens with it. But you know, that's this is I think probably the most cynical and disappointing thing in the whole session for me. Yeah, which I is saying something. That. Yeah, that's really saying something. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah right. Um, so lastly, we have the West End TIF. This was House Bill three twenty one, and it passed. Um, though some legislators were frustrated that they had to vote on it without a fiscal note and with like little information on the financial impact. And I think debate of it was limited, um, but it passed the House 61 to 28, and that one heads to the governor as well. And I think Representative Pamela, Representative Pamela Stevenson spoke on it and was basically like, we need this, we'll figure the rest out later. So hopefully um, it does get figured out and is yeah. Positive for the West End. Yeah. Andy Bashir actually got asked about this during his COVID press conference today, which is Wednesday, the 31st. Uh, and, and he responded by saying, you know, he was definitely going to have some meetings and talk to people before he decided whether or not to sign or veto it. Um, I think it's kind of a complicated issue. This is one a lot like the line mm-hmm. on a veto. I think I would veto uh, the the tax breaks. Um, but I think this is one that I actually struggle to know what I would do with because it isn't very clear. But it's people who you know, need a solution. And we actually have a bill that got passed. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I, I suspect he's probably going to sign it. Uh, but we'll we'll see. Uh, yeah, it, it is. I mean, it, it, whether or not it's a good bill or not, it, it is a good example of how the legislative process in Kentucky is broken and has been for a long time. Because, you know, this passed without a fiscal note, without any information about what impact mm-hmm. it's going to have to the budget on the last day of the session. And we had a whole session where we could have been talking about it, where we could have been debating the cost of it. We could have been putting that together. Kentucky has a whole staff of people that does that, but we couldn't get it done because we waited to the last second to do it. And, and that's really unfortunate. I wish we could have had a more robust debate about the best way to do this in the pr- correct place, uh, the legislature to do that debate instead of like leaving it all up to the implementers to, to figure all that out. Yeah, I agree. And and I think it, it puts Andy Bashir in a tough position. Absolutely. Absolutely. As well. Um, So I wanted to also talk about a couple bills that almost made it, but didn't. Um, One of those is a bill about impeachment petitions. It's Senate Bill 159. It didn't start out to be about impeachment, um, but an an amendment was added by Representative Koenig, and they passed a bill that intended to prevent frivolous impeachment petitions, um, but but the Senate did not take it up for concurrence. So that one didn't quite make it. Related note, the impeachment committee met one last time this week also, and they made the petitioners bills official. So they denied their objections to the bills. 
All right. There you go. So there you go. Um, and then also the civilian review board bill, House Bill 309, it would give civilian review boards some subpoena power. Um, it went back to committee and died yesterday. All right. Very good. I, I wanted to note a, a few other things that didn't really stand a chance. One of those was Senate Bill 211, which was the big anti-protest bill that I and a lot of other people were upset about. Luckily, it was never assigned to a House committee, um, so it really didn't stand a chance of getting done. Yeah, I think you guys here. You guys got upset about it, and it worked. Uh, you know, pe- yeah. they, they were like, "No, yeah, okay, this is the bad. House- we're not doing that." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The House didn't want to touch it, and then just some other bipartisan efforts that didn't happen. Um, there was a gas tax bill that was assigned to committee and never made it out of a chamber banning the death penalty for mentally ill people that one died in the senate medical marijuana sports betting sports betting restoration of voting rights a paid leave bill and statewide fairness all um popular issues supported by members of both parties that really went nowhere this year yeah uh, the gas tax setting that aside because that's like an issue i think that the time will come for that one uh but all these other ones are part of the democratic agenda that even though there's bipartisan support for them they are not not supported by the republican leadership which is key right to getting these things accomplished if they want to do that so right and most of these things have been there have been bills carried by republicans Mm-hmm. Um, but because leadership isn't really interested in them, yeah, we're not getting much closer. Uh, yeah, they can at least be like, well, Adam Koenig has been working really hard on the sports betting bill, so you know you should vote for him, <laughs> uh, Northern Kentuckians, even though yeah. he votes with us on school choice and he votes with us on anti-board, like he votes with them on everything else. But you know he's working real hard, and and someday soon uh, we'll take this one up. Uh, and the same can be said for. <laughs> Jason Nemus and his uh, restoration of voting rights. And, and yeah, you know, these are Democratic objectives. Daily, medical yeah. marijuana. <laughs> All of these things have Republican sponsors because they have to if they're going to get anywhere. But they're Democratic bills. And if you want them to pass, mm-hmm. vote for Democrats. That's it. Yeah, we know that you probably <laughs> do if you listen to this show. So uh, if you <laughs> tell your Mima and Peepaw to know. vote we... for Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a couple Republican listeners. Yeah, maybe there you go. They may not want. I don't to... think some of them live in Kentucky, though. So. Yeah, well, they probably also don't want like paid family leave and medical marijuana. So, you know, who knows? Uh, all right. Let's talk a little bit about covid. Uh, OK, Kentucky, Kentucky this last week had its 11th straight week of declining cases. That's great. Uh, a lot of other states have started to see an upswing in cases and in hospitalizations. And last week was certainly lower. It's about 400 cases lower than the previous week. But it certainly is like sort of a plateau. Like it's going down and it's been going down for a while, but it's definitely not going down by a lot. Uh, Governor Bashir did impress in his press conference on Monday that the pandemic is definitely not over and this drop would not result in changes to mandates until the vaccination effort gets further along. So, you know, we are going down, but it's not we're going down not because of the vaccines. The vaccines are are not causing our cases to drop yet. That's separate from the vaccines. And until we get vaccines to most people and significantly more than most people, uh, we're probably not going to see restrictions uh, relax any more than they have now. As of Wednesday, there are eight counties left in the red zone. Lyon and Simpson counties, which saw significant outbreaks in prisons and jails, they're now pretty pretty close to the edge of that red-orange zone. Lyon County is at 26 cases per 100,000, and Simpson's down to 34. So it's probably, you know, if we continue to move like we have, they'll probably be in that orange zone pretty pretty soon. 
Louisville actually dropped into the yellow zone, according to the state map, out of the orange zone, all the way to the yellow zone, and actually saw a, a slight dip in the number of cases last week, too. Uh, the week ending on Monday, they had fewer cases than the week before. Lexington, though, saw a slight tip tick upwards last week. They had 246 two weeks ago, and they had 265 cases last week. That's not a big increase, but that's that's uh, something to be worried about, it, I think, uh, as as the variants start taking hold and as, you know, more people uh, in, especially in bigger cities like that, are going to start, you know, being exposed more often than they were before. Mm-hmm. Kentucky's hospital census is down to 378 COVID-19 patients as of Wednesday. That's another double-digit percent decrease, 13%. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, further indication that the right people are getting vaccinated and staying out of the hospital. So, you know, I think it's going to have a serious positive. Like the vaccination effort is not going has not reduced our overall case count yet, but it certainly has decreased our hospital case count. At least that's my read on it, and I think it's going to really impact our death numbers as we move along. Uh, so, so that's that's very good. That's very good news. Kentucky is now down to 35th in terms of states for new cases. Kentucky's infection rate, even though it's still, you know, higher than it was for at the beginning of the pandemic, it is lower than most other states. Kentucky has continued to decrease in terms of cases, uh, even as a lot of other states are starting to see a fourth wave of COVID. Eastern seaboard states like Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Jersey, and New York have been hit pretty hard, but the worst place is Michigan. Michigan's really struggling with new cases, and they've seen a rise that puts them pretty near their winter peak. Uh, I mean, it's 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 very bad there. Um, so I don't know if, who does spring break in Michigan. It seems like a bad idea because it's cold, but also a bad idea because there's lots of COVID, so don't go there. That's a bad idea. I wonder if they're all having big March Madness parties. Could be. Could Which be. Are, they lost, though, so yeah. their, their parties Which are... Is, they're over now. <laughs> Yeah, I know they're not doing any Detroit Pistons parties. That team is awful. Uh, so, <laughs> all right. Uh, Kentucky vaccinated 128,000 people last week. That's somewhat lower than the figures we've been seeing in the past month. Uh, not really since March 2nd, when we vaccinated 127,000 people on the weekending that day, has the vaccination total been this low. However, this is the first week in a long time when the vaccine supply hasn't had some sort of weird, wacky contingency. And Kentucky received 149,000 new doses, uh, meaning that we've used about 80% 86% of our allocation this week. So even though, you know, we're not at the 198,000 that we were at, you know, last week, we're, we're, we're still using about everything that we get. And according to the New York Times tracker, Kentucky now ranks 18th in states for first doses of the vaccine. That's down a little bit from the week before, but still pretty high up there. One thing to mention, though, Michigan is not that far behind Kentucky. Uh, and, and like we mentioned, they're seeing a huge uptick in cases. And I already made this point, but that's just further evidence that like your case count is not dependent right now on vaccines. Just because a lot of people are able to get vaccines is not going to have an impact on the number of cases until a lot more people get the vaccine. So just keep, mm-hmm. keep that in mind. Uh, yeah. I, I, at the end of the day, this is a really kind of heady time for the pandemic. A lot of people are now fully vaccinated. Jasmine, when do you get your second shot? I am fully vaccinated. Oh, you're fully vaccinated. I will be fully vaccinated yeah. on Sunday. Did you or Pfizer, right? Yeah. And I planned to like take it easy this weekend, was waiting for side effects to hit, and I didn't have anything. Like my arm wasn't even sore. So no side effects for me. Yeah, I've got, okay, just anecdotally speaking, the people that I've talked about, talked to that had the Pfizer vaccine 
haven't had it nearly as bad as the people that got the Moderna vaccine. I don't know if that holds up in the long term, but I am getting that Moderna on Sunday. So that will be my second cool. shot. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens to me on Monday. Uh, on it, Easter. Yes. Christ is risen. And so is my COVID <laughs> uh, antibody count. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> Yeah, right. So a lot of people are are fully vaccinated. Uh, a lot of people that I know are fully vaccinated. I'm I'm sure you are no, now knowing a lot more people that are fully vaccinated, and they want to start doing more things. I heard an analogy uh, this morning about a vaccine being a lot like a raincoat, which is like as in most rain, like that's good. You got a raincoat that's going to protect you from the rain. But if you're in a crazy deluge or monsoon or something like that, a, a raincoat's not much help. Uh, and, and if cases continue to increase at an exponential rate, like they are in Michigan right now, you know, your vaccine, uh, it, it's not going to offer the same protection as it would otherwise. So, you know, I, I, I think that we need to keep all that in mind. If you are vaccinated, still avoid large crowds and, and don't and wear a mask in public like that that's just something you should definitely be doing now uh the mask stuff like we may be just doing that from here on out maybe i don't know uh large crowds probably will get better over time but uh i i do think at least i don't know jasmine tell me what you're what you're thinking i think like if you're vaccinated and hanging out with other vaccinated people, that's starting to be a lot more acceptable and okay. At least that's how I'm interpreting it. We had uh, every uh, some people over last night. Uh, everybody had been fully vaccinated for two weeks, except for me. Uh, so I wasn't going to catch it from them because they're all vaccinated. Uh, and we did the same thing over the weekend. Uh, we're starting to do a lot more of that. Uh, wh- what do you think? Are you starting to do stuff like that? Yeah, we had two vaccinated friends over a couple weeks ago and everyone was full. They're all teachers. So they've all been fully vaccinated for a while. And I was the only one that had only had one shot at that point, but I felt pretty comfortable doing that. I probably wouldn't do it in a large group indoors. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm starting to feel better about seeing other people. For sure. Yeah, I think those are those types of gatherings that I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable about. Like my family's going to be doing a small Easter thing. Um, everybody's going to be vaccinated. Uh, at least, well, I will have had my second shot uh, by the time I go to eat dinner with them. Hopefully, I'm not like under the table dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of worried about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but stuff like that. Like we're going to do a, a small family thing with all everybody is uh, because most everybody has been vaccinated, uh, and and I think that that kind of stuff is starting to be a little bit more more acceptable. Uh, but yeah, I would still avoid large crowds, and I would encourage you to do that as well. Okay, Jasmine, before we end the show, we do have a couple of quick hits we want to get to. Uh, Kentucky 120 United or 120 Strong, they have affiliated with the American Federation of Teachers to become a a union. Um, This puts them in direct competition with the Kentucky Education Association for membership. I I think that this is kind of a sneaky big story. I I think that I I see a lot of potential problems with this, and I I see a couple of different ways it might you know, be good. Uh, you know, uh, time will tell whether, you know, this really kind of splits the unionization effort. Uh, a lot of ink has been spilled about how, how KY or Kentucky United, 120 United says they're a union and KEA says they're an association, but, but that's kind of like a difference in uh, like semantics. You can't collectively bargain unless you have 50% uh, of, 
uh, you know, a, a school district that is affiliated with your group. Um, and KEA has that in, in Louisville. Uh, and I guess, you know, if 120 United gets 50% members, they can start collectively bargaining, but they can't do that now. So anyways, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I do kind of wish everybody could have gotten on the same page and we didn't have two teachers unions, but you know, maybe, maybe it will be a good thing. Who knows? I defer to you. You're connected to education circles more than I am. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's disappointing that there is a bit of a rift between, um, like two educator groups. Um, so I hope this ends up being a positive thing. Yeah, I mean, it is worth saying I do have a lot of friends who are JCTA members and, and talk about these kind of things quite a bit. Uh, several friends who are JCTA members and, and are active in their union. And so, like, my opinion of this is kind of colored by this. We don't live in Lexington. And I think, like, Central Kentucky and Lexington is where a lot of, like, the 120 stuff is most strong. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think a lot of the 120 stuff kind of grew out of that. Uh, and I... Yeah. And there, so, it's, it's a lot of politics, man. And, and it's kind of disappointing, but... Uh, it really is. I, I do think it's worth mentioning that like my opinions of this are colored by the people that I talk to. And if you're like really into 120 and KY 120 think this is a great idea, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. And, uh, you know, I hope that everybody can just get on the same page and work towards the goal, which is, you know, better policy for, for teachers uh, and students across the state. So there you go. That's that's that story. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about: the Supreme Court of the United States will decide whether or not Daniel Cameron can join an abortion case. So this case is about a Kentucky law that bans dilation and evacuation abortions, which are pretty rare and happen in the later months of pregnancy, usually after uh, you know the fetal anomalies are detected, which. I guess Daniel Cameron doesn't care about. Daniel Cameron sought to join this case after it transferred from Matt Bevan to Andy Bashir. Obviously, Andy Bashir declined to take it up, even though Matt Bevan was gung-ho about it. But Daniel Cameron sought to join the case kind of late, and a court of appeals said he couldn't do it. He couldn't join it because he tried to join too late. So that's what you know, the Supreme Court is trying to decide is whether or not Daniel Cameron can join this case. I have a sneaking suspicion that they are going to let him join. What do you think, Jasmine? Yeah, I don't feel good that they are taking this up. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of reasons I feel really bad about it. Almost that, like, you know, maybe the conservatives on the court who run things are like, yeah, let's have Mitch McConnell's protege be the guy who overturns Roe v. Wade. I think that that might be something that they're thinking about. So great, wonderful stuff. Uh, that's that's where we're at with that. So that hopefully, hopefully uh, the Supreme Court doesn't do that (laughs) but again uh we have a very conservative supreme court and all of the bad things that you hope aren't going to happen are probably going to happen sometimes in the next like five to ten years so buckle up everybody uh and on that very sad note jasmine how can people get a hold of us they can find us on twitter and instagram at my old pod they can like our facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of their choice we also have a newsletter that comes out on friday mornings you can subscribe to it at fordky.com slash email. And we have a Patreon page where you can support what we're doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. And last but not least, we are part of the Dimcast Network. All right, everybody. Thank you very much. And we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>